Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. So you know what's coming up to next week, uh, Natasha? Yeah, it's a big week coming up. Yeah, there's the expected plenary vote on the common agricultural policy in the European Parliament. And there's also a meeting uh, with the EU ministers. Uh, that could probably lead to a common position on, uh, uh, again, on the, on the same topic, on the same uh, dossier. Um, Which basically means a sleepless week. Exactly. For, exactly. for journalists and agri-folk. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, it's never been so fun following agriculture in, uh, in the EU. Wild. Yeah. So uh, let's start with the basics. So we're talking about three pieces of legislation. It's, the, it's how the common agricultural policy um, file is uh, made up and um, normally there's some kind of screening in the parliament's committee so the the environment and the agricultural one the one that are dealing and are uh, tasked with uh, uh, filing the amendments uh, on uh, on uh, the proposal from the commission uh, but this time lawmakers in both agriculture and environment committee already clashed uh, on uh, the particularly on the provisions related to the climate objectives in the farming sector, so it happens that n- anything now can happen actually uh, because uh, there are going to be uh, individual amendments in the plenary. So uh, considering that positions are still very far apart, mm-hmm. again it's uh, it's going to be like a jungle. Not not a done deal. <laughs> no, playing fields wide open. <laughs> Exactly. Um, there was an agreement between the three uh, biggest, uh, largest uh, parties, so the Socialists, the uh, Christian Democrats and Liberals. They agreed on a common position. Uh, it was uh, opposed by the Greens and particularly the leftists. But the uh, outstanding issue is uh, at the Parliament is basically uh, the link between the common agricultural policy and the farm to fork strategy, the new uh, food policy that was unveiled by the Commission uh, in in April or in May. In May, May. earlier this year. Exactly, and um, and basically uh, they're clashing on on this aspect because they want, uh, particularly the Greens, uh, want this target to be embedded in the common agricultural policy already. Mm-hmm. You know that, uh, for instance, Christian Democrats are are saying that uh, there's a legal issue because, of course, uh, the farm to fork is a strategy. Mm, it's not legally binding. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it could be legally bi- binding when the pieces of legislation that, is suppo- that are supposed to be revised according to the farm to fork uh, will be revised mm. in, in the near future. But for instance, the sustainable use uh, of pesticide directive, it takes at least two years or three years before the coming into force. Uh, and of course, the money uh, of basically the direct payments in the cap should start flowing as quickly as possible. So this is uh, um, this is the main outstanding issue at the parliament at the moment. Whereas at the council, uh, they're clashing on a different aspect, which is the uh, greening architecture of the common agricultural policy. So it's basically 
uh, the eco scheme, so how to increase the environmental performance of the common agricultural policy, and particularly the conditionality, which is part of this uh, greening architecture and will replace the, the current greening payment requirements. So even the NGOs are quite uh, fed up, let's say. Uh, they they basically saying that the deal between the three largest parties uh, is uh, is a stinking one, because a stinking, a stinking one exactly, <laughs> because uh, it maintains the financial incentives for intensive farming, uh, providing substantial funds for uh, green initiatives that risk being anything but green, and basically channeling uh, masses of public money into the pockets of powerful agrochemical corporations. But there's another there's another interesting aspect that it's not going to be in Strasbourg. Yeah, as we learned earlier today, there was um it's all going to be virtual for the first, exactly. first not, time it's, ever. It's not going to be in Brussels either, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this makes it a bit difficult mm. uh you know to vote on such a complex uh topic mm-hmm. because I mean there are tons of amendments already. And they have to vote. You know, it, it takes time even to to count the vote mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the. And actually, it, it's quite weird because I mean we're, we're talking about something really substantial, no? While um, it's the level of technology used to take this decision, it's a bit seems like a contradiction uh, compared to something that is related to agriculture. To farming, yeah, it's Ag- kind of the opposite of putting your hands in the soil, the real farming on the ground, and you know we're all here talking virtually. It'll be interesting to see. You know, I mean, it's difficult to say whether this will make an effect on the way that they, the way that things pan out. Really, the fact that it's remote, that you can't have these kind of face-to-face conversations on these really complex issues. You know, how will that affect? That's another point. And of course, I mean, once the parliament will uh, approve a common position, doesn't mean that it's over because the council as well Mm. uh, needs to adopt uh, um, a common position. Because, I mean, we're talking about having um, a negotiating mandate. So um, the parliament is basically entitling the rapporteur in... in, um, acting during the trial on, on their behalf, on the parliament behalf. And the the, the German presidency as well uh, need to, um, to have this mandate from the other ministers. So they still need this uh, step, basically the common position. Mm. And then there's going to be the trial of the, inter- the interinstitutional um, negotiations that could last a lot, but apparently there's no time because uh, it means that if they reach an agreement uh, after March, this could create some problems to certain member states in terms of uh, implementing the mm. deal, because it takes time even to implement at national level what is decided in Brussels. It's a really uphill battle. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of obstacles in the way, and it needs to be done kind of by, by March, it's essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of all to play for. Let's see what happens. We'll be following it closely. I'm sure all of you as well listening will be following next week. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. So besides uh, all the everything that's happening about the common agricultural policy this week, there's also been a number of interesting developments about pesticides this week, starting with a court ruling which found that member states have the right to ban pesticides, even if they aren't banned at the EU level. 
The French government proposed to, to ban these pesticides and the French Crop Protection Association brought an action before the French highest court asking if this was allowed, asking if under the harmonised rules of the EU this was this was possible. So the French Council of State then asked the European Court of Justice, the EU's highest court, um, for their interpretation on the matter. And this week, they ruled in France's favour, concluding that member states can take protective measures and can ban these pesticides, even if they're not banned at the EU level, which is pretty interesting. So hang on, hang on. The French government asked to ban this class of pesticide. Certain, certainly nicotinoids. Yeah, yeah. That was basically reintroduced like two weeks ago. Well, yeah, the, the funny, well, not funny, but the, the, the ironic part of, of this is that this, the ruling has landed exactly at the same moment that the French government is now asking for a reintroduction of certain neonicotinoid pesticides um, to try and help the sugar beet sector mm-hmm. who's suffering from pests. So actually they, they, they banned them, they got told they were allowed to ban them, and now they're asking to use them again so it's <laughs> kind of a roller coaster in two weeks yeah within the same period of roller coaster roller coaster time P- perfect timing actually. roller coaster relationship with neonicotinoids in france apparently um but that's not all about pesticides this week so they also there was the eu chemical strategy which was adopted this week and the strategy um is intended as a first step towards a zero pollution ambition for a toxic free environment and as part of this strategy it sets out an aim to address the cumulative and combined effects of chemicals and that includes pesticides as well and the strategy stresses the need to accelerate work on methodologies that help ensure uh, existing provisions can be fully implemented. So basically, it's already required by European legislation that regulators address the cumulative effects of pesticides. Um, so that means you, you address them, you know, how they all work together and how they the effect they have together in safety assessments. But the strategy is calling for further action in this area. Um, This requirement is due to the fact that several pesticides might be used at the same time in agricultural fields and also that you get multiple residues on food samples. So work on a targeted methodology to address this combined effect of pesticides, um, which is what um, campaigners call a cocktail effect of pesticides, is already underway. But the strategy basically says that work has to be accelerated to ensure that this can be fully implemented. So more work needs to be done on these methodologies. And uh, it also says that although it's not realistic or economically feasible at the moment to address this for kind of an infinite number of chemicals, um, it says that there's a scientific consensus on the effect of chemical mixtures and it needs to be taken into account in chemical risk assessments. And speaking of pesticides, I also read a story of you on uh, on uh, another related topic, which is basically uh, the production and export of banned pesticides to third countries. Mm -hmm. So what's this basically? Well, um, another story related to pesticides. Basically, civil society organizations have been calling on the EU um, to halt the production and export of banned pesticides. So essentially the problem is, as they see it, is that although the EU um, banned a lot of pesticides, Mm -hmm. you can still produce them in the EU and you can export them elsewhere in the world for use in other countries and so they're kind of questioning you know is this is this okay is this a good thing to do obviously the pesticides that have harmful effect here will have a harmful effect elsewhere um either on human health but also on the environment so it's this kind of this debate of how we want to position ourselves as a global trade partner and and the kind of message we want to we want to send because we we have this push on on sustainability Mm -hmm. and at the same time we're exporting 
unsustainable products. I mean, it's uh, it's quite weird, I would say. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a bit. But, um, and and how the the industry defend this this position? So basically, mm-hmm. exporting this mm-hmm. banned pesticides. Well, it's not just the industry that's defending it. It's also, you know, the, the commission's also got a different stance on this. But basically, you know, um, Crop Life International, which is an international trade association of agrochemical companies, um, stressed that, you know, while the health and safety of consumers and pesticide users is the highest priority, they stressed that um, some pesticides that are banned in the EU have important uses elsewhere. So, you know, it's kind of not a one-size-fits-all. Um, there's different circumstances and different situations all around the world, and people are kind of contending with different different pests, different problems. Um, maybe they need different pesticides to deal with them. So that's kind of their stance. Basically, there was an event about this um, last week. Um, there was also a representative from DGMV who emphasized that in the Rotterdam Convention, um, so that's a, a treaty that's designed to promote shared responsibilities um, in relation to the import and export of hazardous chemicals. Um, You know, they emphasized that it's important to allow countries to make their own decisions based on their own specific circumstances. And also that maybe banning exports is not necessarily the most effective strategy, Um, that maybe enforcing more stringent checks on imports of food or considering the use of sanctions. You know, there's there's different ways that you can discourage their use. Um, you know, so it's, it's it's a bit of a debate, the best way to go about this. And this week, our quote of the week comes from the EU Agricultural Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, uh, speaking during a, an event on the farm to fork strategy. And here's what he had to say. Organic farming is one of the priorities to, to increase the, the area of land under organic farming. And also, the, we will offer more organic products to the to the, the to the uh, European tables, and this is very important. And I think that we have a good um, plan for the for 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 this 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 question: more organic uh, management of land and more organic products of, of for our consumers. This week, we spoke with uh, Robbie Bewer, who's um, a member of the Committee of Regions. So. We normally talk a lot about three, mostly three institutions in Brussels, so the European Commission, the Council, so basically the, the ministers of the member states, and the European Parliament. But there are also other bodies, like the Committee of Regions, who, which is uh, an advisory body uh, to the European Union, that uh, gather more than uh, 300 members uh, coming from uh, um, there are basically local and regional authorities representative uh, for instance uh, uh, mr beaver he's um, is a member of the Bettenburg municipal council um, in uh, in luxembourg and they basically have this um, they they do this opinion they file this opinion on the commission's proposals of course they are advisory but um, the lawmakers, so basically the European Parliament and the Council, um, have to take into account what the Committee of Regions, what the local authorities um, say. And, um, and Mr. Beaver in particular was the rapporteur for, for uh, the opinion on the biodiversity strategy. And he uh, spoke with us about the some agricultural aspects of the biodiversity strategy. That's what he said to us. Dear ladies and gentlemen, this week the European Committee of the Regions adopted the opinion 
Biodiversities and Regions Beyond 2020 and the Biodiversity Strategy for 2030, of which I had been the rapporteur. Apart from Corona and climate change, we face a third crisis, the dramatic loss of biodiversity, and this crisis also affects us as humans as heavily, because we need an intact nature and ecosystems. With the adequate scientific and financial resources, local and regional authorities will be the forerunners in the transition to a greener and healthier future, being the actors on the ground and nearest to our citizens. We now need an action plan for nature and biodiversity that recognizes the crucial role of local and regional authorities in the implementation of the Green Deal and an ambitious and coherent biodiversity strategy. And we must find this coherence throughout all policies, especially in a much greener common agricultural policy, which thus will give new chances to farmers, create new green jobs and protect biodiversity. So we can't wait. We must act now. So um, for other news from the Brussels bubble this week. Wait, is there anything outside the Common Agricultural Policy? No, that's it. It was a very short section this week. That's it. No, I'm kidding. There, there is, There are some stuff. Um, there is, for example, there was a study that was published this week from the Joint Research Centre. Um, and this was on the link between cleaner air and um, wheat yield. So basically, the study found that the cleaner air since the start of the coronavirus restriction measures uh, could lead to a global increase in wheat yields this year from between 2 to 8%, which is actually pretty considerable. Um, there was also another study that was published this week on the future of the livestock sector. Um, and that was published by the EU Commission, uh, basically highlighted the areas where the sector can improve on sustainability and contributing to environmental goals. This week, um, the Corporate Europe Observatory, that's a kind of a lobby watchdog, an NGO that's in the EU, launched an attack this week on farmers lobby Copacajeca, saying that there was an, an unholy alliance of big farm and agribusiness lobby, uh, together with pesticides and food industry giants, who are waging a battle uh, against the EU's farm to fork strategy and also the biodiversity strategy. Uh, so these two new strategies working towards more sustainable agriculture and they were announced in the spring as we said earlier in the podcast but the corporate europe observatory said that this lobby alliance is pushing national governments and members of the european parliament to stop the ongoing common agricultural policy reform from being aligned with the eu's green deal and lastly the agriculture committee at the European Parliament approved on Tuesday a plan for allocating the 7.5 billion top-up coming to the EU's farming uh, subsidies program, so the, the Common Agricultural Policy, that it's coming from the EU's post-COVID stimulus plan, so the next generation EU. So the MEPs updated the text proposed by the Commission to distribute all the money made available for rural communities from the EU recovery instruments uh, in the, the first two years of the, um, the next uh, EU uh, budget program, so basically to, to, uh, 2021 and 2022, uh, while the EU executive originally wanted to release this money from 2022 to 2024, so basically it's anticipating uh, its allocation uh, by one year. So this week we also have um, Margarita Tolotto, so she's from the um, the European Environmental Bureau and she's here to speak a little bit 
about the methane strategy, which was also released this week, um, the same time around about the same time as the chemical strategy, um, talking about uh, the fact that it doesn't include methane uh, emissions in farming. So let's hear what she has to say about this. Why methane is important? Methane is an environmental, climate and health hazard. It's a greenhouse gas that accelerates climate breakdown and it is also a precursor of air pollution. It contaminates the air we breathe because it generates ground-level ozone that damages people's health, crops and nature. The Commission had announced a comprehensive strategy covering all emitters from energy to waste and agriculture, but the only sector touched by the strategy presented is the energy one, which accounts for less than 20% of the total. Cutting emissions from the energy sector is important, but in itself is not enough, as it leaves over than 80% of methane emissions unaddressed. The methane strategy presented by the European Commission do not touch the biggest methane emitter in the EU, agriculture. Over 50% of methane emissions come from farming, especially the so-called super-emitters, which are responsible for over the 40% of the total. And still, the sector can get away without taking responsibility for its pollution. In the strategy, there is no reference to any concrete action to cut methane emissions at farm level, and no clear indication on how necessary dietary changes will be promoted. This despite the fact that there are effective measures that could be taken at, fa at farm level to immediately cut methane emissions, and which will also reduce ammonia emissions, another dangerous precursor of air pollution emitted by more than 90% by farming. So it would be a double win for air quality and for all of us. The Commission claims they do not have enough data to inform policy action to start now reducing methane emissions from agriculture. But this is just an excuse. We know more than enough to act. Reducing methane from farming can be hard, considering the strong opposition from the big industrial farming lobby groups. However, in the face of the current environmental climate and health crisis, cutting methane emissions coming from agriculture is absolutely essential. Until the Commission decides to face the industrial farming lobby and reduce agriculture methane, people will keep paying the price of inaction. And now for the agri-food news from the capitals this week, starting with Austria, where there is concern over next week's negotiations over changes to the common agricultural policy, particularly uh, in relation to environmental standards. So uh, Austria wants to preserve the system of dividing environmental benefits between the program's two first pillars. Um, and if this moves entirely to the first pillar, as is being discussed, there is a concern that it will put Austrian agriculture at a disadvantage. In Germany, the German Agriculture Ministry announced updates to its federal program for the Energy Efficiency Program uh, this week, making 38 million euros available from 2021 onwards. Uh, this is designed to put 
renewable energy sources and mobile machinery and equipment in the focus of the funding. But the German Farmers Association has been critical of certain aspects of the plan, particularly that the use of biofuels, vegetable oils and alcohols is excluded from funding. In the UK, attempts by farmers and food campaigners to enshrine high food safety and animal welfare practices in British law after Brexit were defeated this week after amendments included in the bill did not pass through the House of Commons. The agricultural bill uh, with its overturned amendments will now return to the House of Lords before further debates will take place. Let's move to Ireland, where on the back of the EU summit in Brussels, the Irish Farmers Association has launched a Brexit emergency policy paper, which sets a three-step plan to mitigate the damage to Irish farming from Brexit. The president, Tim Cullinan, said that we need a deal to try and keep our exports flowing into the UK without tariffs or quotas. In France, 14 civil society organizations are calling for demonstrations across France to denounce the current agro-industrial system and defend ecological agriculture. And lastly, Poland's poultry sector, one of the most important branches of agriculture in the country, may suffer a 330 million loss in 2020 due to the coronavirus epidemic, according to estimates by the National Chamber of Poultry and Feed Producers. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. So you can find this podcast on uh, all major platforms such as Apple, Amazon, Spotify and also Stitcher. I'm Natasha Foote. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week.